What would it have been like to be the half-brother of Jesus? We shared last week, we know in John chapter 7, Jesus had brothers. And they actually didn't follow him early on when they were younger like that. However, James would become the leader in the church in Jerusalem. And in the early 60s AD, he wrote this letter that we now have in five chapters that we're walking through together. We are in chapter 2 this week. So if you want to open your Bibles, turn to chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 14. But if you came in here, man, and you think you feel insecure in your faith, imagine that your brother was the Christ, right? Like you would feel inadequate constantly when it came to your personal faith. And I imagine a lot of us walked in here today and maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe you hadn't been in a church building in a really long time. Felt a little awkward coming into a space like that. James would go from being someone who almost mocked Jesus to actually leading the early church, writing one of the books of the Bible. I don't think he's done with you. I think he could use you to do incredible things. As you're turning to James chapter 2, verse 14, this morning, we really get to the heart of the book of James. Like if you're new to the book of James, chapter 2 is where we get the famous verses, in particular in the second half of the book. The first half of the book that we won't read out loud for the sake of time, those first 13 verses, talk about that you shouldn't show favoritism to one another and that we should value mercy over judgment. And I think that's really important because when we get to the second half, we're going to talk about what a live faith looks like. And the big question I have for you this morning, is your faith dead or alive? Is it dead or alive? When you reflect on that question, we're going to have uh, honest questions that we're going to have to ask each other of what that means, of what it means for something to be dead or alive. And I was reminded of like the story, somebody correct me after the service if this is wrong, but I remember hearing the story, I think this was true, that there was a guy who called an ambulance because he had hit a deer, but he didn't call the ambulance because he had hit a deer, he called 911 because he had taken the buck that he had hit and put it in the back seat of his car because he thought it was dead, right? Anybody heard this story before? I'm pretty sure this was on a radio like years ago. And then the deer woke up in the back of the car, and it was also not just in Tommy Boy, I think this really happened, and began to tear up the interior of his car and injured him, and he had to call an ambulance to come and help him. How do you know if your faith is dead or if it's alive? What's it look like? That's what the heart of James chapter 2 really gets to. If you uh, are taking notes, I encourage you afterwards on the Mercy Road app. If you haven't downloaded the Mercy Road app, there is a, a study guide there that has just a few follow-up questions and some of the notes uh, from this teaching series will be up by this afternoon if it's not already. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Are you guys ready to study God's word together, church? Mm, come on now. Here we go. Verse 14, it says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith By my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 
Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Well, that seems weird and contrary to what we talked about the last couple of weeks. We're going to address that. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause for a second, and I know we all came in here for different reasons. Some of us, we've been a part of this church family for six years. Uh, we've been growing in our faith over uh, that period of time. And this morning, we just need another wake-up call. Some of us, we've been Christians for decades, and maybe we've become stagnated in our faith. Maybe we were even drugged here this morning and didn't really want to get out of bed, and yet get all these people on a Sunday morning in this space came to worship you, came to hear from you. So we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's family said, amen, amen. Oh, wow. Eric Maitland, everybody. That's perfect. Just, just get off the stage, Eric. I'm trying to preach a sermon here. So. <laughs> Thank you. So I asked Eric to bring this up here. This, I made jokes last night, but this is actually not Eric's bike. Uh, he doesn't ride this around town, although I could totally picture him on it. How many people would love to, to see that? Yeah. Uh, I actually asked Eric if I could borrow his Harley. He's way cool. He's got a sweet Harley, dude. And he told me that it would crush the stage of the weight of it. So we found this cool dirt bike. And I, I was thinking this week about this passage, about how faith without deeds is dead, and about how we are to have active faith. And I was reflecting on, like, how do you know if something is really alive or dead? When I first became a Christian at 19 years old, I was living in a fraternity house. I really didn't want a whole lot to do with God in my life, and yet I encountered him, and some things began to change. And the first book I read in the Bible was the book of James. I just want to tell you, if you grew up around Christianity, but you wouldn't consider yourself like a passionate follower of Jesus, this book is for you, man, because it will light a fire under you. And I just want to warn you ahead of time, this morning is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I feel like I, I preach every morning, but uh, I'm going to really preach this morning. And so if you, that makes you a little uncomfortable, uh, I would apologize ahead of time, but I'm not going to because I feel like the verses require us to do it. There's some real stuff that we're going to uh, study in this passage, and I believe it could be life-changing. I think some of you guys are going to have a breakthrough moment. You're going to have, like I heard a pastor one time, called a Popeye moment. Remember Popeye? He'd say, it's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Some of you are going to wake up, and you're going to say, I'm going to begin to change some things in my life, and I'm not just going to believe something here. I'm going to go 18 inches deeper into my heart and soul and allow God to really use my life. But I was thinking about, you know, I grew up riding a dirt bike around my grandpa's farm. Anybody grow up riding a dirt bike at all? The great thing about these things they were created for a particular purpose, right? They were created to go out, ride around, have a lot of fun. If you're good at it, maybe even do some jumps. I wasn't good. I once wrecked the bike and literally knocked myself out at 13 years old on one of these things. And 
It was created for a purpose. I believe if you came here this morning, if you are a living, breathing human being, even though you may be atheist or agnostic, we welcome you here. We started this church for you. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. For those who are broken and have done some things that they regret and feel guilt and shame over, we believe the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that we want to encounter you, have you encounter God right where you are. But this thing was made for a purpose, and I believe that if you're a living, breathing human being, you were created in the image of God. That he redeemed you. And that he has a purpose and plan for your life. And if you're like me, that often you run away from that plan. I want to invite you to experience the fun of jumping on with God and actually allowing him to use your life. But I brought this bike up here. Do you think it would start up? I'm not going to start it right now. Do you, do you think it would start up? They say, well, yeah, of course it is, Josh. I see the illustration already where you're going with this. You don't know, though, do you? Like, that thing looks like it could ride. It could start up. To be completely honest with you this morning, I'm not sure it even has gasoline in a tank. It may not start up. We don't know. The bike looks like it would start, but we don't know. I've met plenty of human beings on the exterior who have their moral values in line, and they look like they could be a devout follower of Jesus, but on the inside, they're just dying spiritually. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. He said, you guys look like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, decaying on the inside. Maybe you came here today and you feel like, you've, it looks like you've got it all together, but you know right now what's really going on, on the inside, going on in your marriage, going on in your relationship with your kids and what's your frustrations and the, the heartache that you're going, you know what's really going on. You don't know if you could really be active in your faith right now. I've also seen clunkers, Right? Some of us have purchased clunkers that look horrible on the exterior, but when you turn that ignition key, baby, there is gasoline in the tank, and the engine is working, and that thing will fire up on all cylinders. You can't judge a book by its cover. That's why the first 13 verses of James chapter 2 is about not showing favoritism and not judging each other. Because if you don't learn that first, when you read the second half of James chapter 2, you're going to miss out on the big picture. It's not about judging each other. I've read verses like James chapter 2 before, and I've had Christians come and tell me things like I learned at a young age. I was working at a camp, and I saw this young man, and I told uh, this guy who was uh, been a Christian a little longer than me, hey, this, this young man claims to have faith in Jesus, but I see some things in his life that aren't really um, honoring God. Wh- wh- how, what do I do about that? And this guy told me, maybe you've had people say this to you before. He said, uh, Josh, I want to tell you... Um, Because we read passages like James chapter 2, we know that there's no action in his faith. So we know that he isn't going to heaven, that he doesn't know Jesus, and that he's going to go to hell. And I thought, wait a second, what about the first half of James chapter 2? So I want to make very clear this morning, as we talk about faith having action, we are not saying that if you don't work hard enough for the Lord to earn your salvation and demonstrate your purposes to God, that somehow you're not going to heaven when you die. Uh, We've talked last week and the week before, it's by faith alone that you have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. Every New Testament scholar that I read believes James is saying the same thing. But what he's describing is, if you have your identity in Christ, you've invited the Holy Spirit into your life, you have been born of God, there's gasoline in the tank. It means that if you fire that thing up, it's going to go somewhere. You're going to have action. And you're going to take two steps forward sometimes, and then you're going to take one step back. And then you're going to take four steps forward and five steps back sometimes. There is a growth curve to following Jesus. It's the process of discipleship. 
That's at the heart of what James is getting to in chapter 2. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to move really quickly. I thought about this, that in James chapter 2, in the second half, there are three questions on faith every Christian should answer. So if you're here today and you consider yourself a Christian, I think you need to be able to answer these three questions. The first one is this. You ready? Do you claim to have faith? Do you claim to have faith? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this might be the most important part. See, in verse 14, it said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? If we claim to have faith, when we fire it up, we're going to begin to see the Holy Spirit use our lives and make an impact and make a difference. You know, I often hear people talk about, in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, about the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness, kindness, patience, self-control. We could list them all out. And we often think, i got to get better at that self-control thing, or i got to get better at the, the faithfulness thing. The reality is that passage says that if you have the Holy Spirit, there is only one fruit. You either got all of them or you don't have any of them. There's gasoline in the tank or there's not. And so when I don't see those things in my life, I go, man, God, okay, maybe I need to connect more with you. Do you really believe that Jesus was crucified on a cross, went into the grave, the tomb, on the third day he rose again, He spent time with the the followers that he had discipled. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He gave the Holy Spirit to the early Christians to then go out and minister to those in need on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. Do you believe those things? Because when the New Testament says it, I can say I believe that. But if I believe it, according to this, if I claim to have faith but have no deeds, can such faith save them? Do I really believe it? Have I really had a life change because of it? I cannot underestimate how important this is, okay? In our American churches today, where there is a, a somewhat of a nostalgic, apathetic faith, that because I sat in a church pew growing up, that somehow it, like, it came into my life subconsciously, and now I'm a Christian, even though you don't really see that in my life, right? And, and when I reflect on a passage like that, and I claim to have faith, I think of John chapter 3, There was this guy named Nicodemus. He was afraid to come to Jesus because he was a Pharisee and he was afraid of what his buddies would say about him, but he didn't care. Like some of you this morning, he went to find Jesus anyway. And he showed up there and in verse three, Jesus responds to him in John chapter three and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born again. That in other words, you are not just born of the flesh, but he says, you're born of water and spirit. And he's like, wait, you're talking about going back into my mother's womb again? Like, what's getting creepy, Jesus? And he says, no, 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 no. Like, you actually have a birth spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That when you encounter God, you begin to see some life change that comes with it. That there is a moment of birth. When I uh, first, I grew up in church, and I didn't really like it. I don't know if you uh, feel that way. I saw people sit in seats every week, and I don't really like to sit around much at all. I'm an impatient person. I didn't really like somebody speaking at me all the time. I've got authority issues, apparently, and maybe you're there with me. And then I began to really questioned some things at 19 years old and had this heart change in my life in this moment where I was just like, God, I'm done doing it my way. I give that stuff up and I want to surrender to you. 
And I began to see some of the things. I was living in a fraternity house, doing the things that people in fraternity houses do. I, I shared that a couple weeks ago. But I, I remember during that time, I, I stopped drinking. And at 19, you know, that was kind of like a big thing. And my friends began to go, hey, dude, like, what changed? Like, why, well, something's different here. And, and they could just tell, the, they liked some of it. I actually treated people a little bit better sometimes, you know, when, when God was showing up. And they said, something's different. And I truly believe, that's always been kind of my life first, that, uh, that I realized I was a new creation. The old began to be gone, the new has come. The old self still comes back sometimes, doesn't it? Still comes back sometimes. But I learned to take next steps of faith, and I'm still learning that. It's the process of following Jesus in our life. Maybe you're there today, and you claim to have faith. Maybe do a little self-reflection and say, well, do I really, truly get this? When did I really surrender that area of my life over to him? Now, a lot of you, you grew up as a Christian, and at a very young age, you knew Jesus. And so you can't say it was like on this day, at this time. I'm not saying that you got to have that kind of experience. Like one day you were this, and the next day you were this. But there has to be a season where all of a sudden you got it, and you began to orient your life around him rather than around you. That's the difference. You get it? Number two, if you're taking notes, the question that we must ask from James 2 is, do your actions demonstrate your faith? Do your actions demonstrate your faith? Oh, dude, we don't even want to talk about this, do we? Because the reality is, no, no, they don't demonstrate my faith. But most of us, we do some good things, and we just try to do enough good things that it outweighs the bad things, right? Uh, when I read that, I, I feel like it's just like a punch in the gut for many of us. But look what he says here. He doesn't say the thing that you would think he would say when uh, we're talking about demonstrating our faith with their actions. Look at verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? He doesn't just talk about your sin of addiction or relationship issues or your greed or your materialism. We call those sins of commission, right? When you commit certain things that you know are sinful or wrong, like materialism, addiction, sexual immorality, violence, you could add to that list. Those are maybe things that are separating you from God. And the word sin actually is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. So it's like you messed up, you made a mistake, you missed the mark, and these things have separated you from a perfect God. We all have fallen prey to that. But what James actually refers to in chapter 2 here is not just that kind of mistake that separates you from God, but a different kind. He goes on in verse 17 and says, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. That we can say one thing, but if we don't see it enacted, if we don't demonstrate our faith with our actions, then our faith is dead. It's not necessarily that we know judgmentally that you're going to heaven or to hell. We don't know that. Only God judges. That's why he started, don't show favoritism and don't judge one another. Lead with mercy towards human beings. In fact, in verse 8, in, the, in James chapter 2, it talks about the royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's how you should live as a Christian. However... If you want to have the act of faith that James is encouraging the Jewish Christians that he's writing to, to experience, we have to say, am I actually demonstrating my faith? Because even the demons believe in one God and shudder. The other sin he mentions isn't just the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. 
Things that you omit doing in your life, like, in this case, not helping the poor, not pursuing your spouse, not helping the kid that dropped his books next to you in the locker, not walking towards your neighbor rather than away from them, not diving into the issues and problems that you're really facing. If I could be really honest, these are the areas that I have learned I struggle still to this day in. Just last weekend, wasn't it awesome to have the uh, African Kids Choir here from South Africa? It's so cool having those guys here. And my wife and I hosted the three boys that were up here singing uh, for the weekend. It was, we had a lot of fun. And I, that morning, we got up to come into church, and it was really cold that morning. You may not have known that, but when we got up, it was. And a couple of them didn't have sweatshirts. So I went in the house, found a, a couple of cheap sweatshirts, gave them the sweatshirts. They wore them here to the building. At the end of the morning, they came up to me to give me the sweatshirts back. And I was like thinking in my mind, oh, dude, I got those for like $3 at Kohl's. You know? <laughs> so why don't you guys just keep those sweatshirts and be a nice little souvenir? And then I started walking out to my car, and as I was walking out, I saw one of them go over, and he's like showing off the sweatshirt to the other choir members. Look what I got, man. Probably because it was an IU sweatshirt, and he likes winners, you know, but he had, he had the sweatshirt there. And then I walked out to my car, and on the way out there, I realized one of the kids, the youngest one, Zola, who was doing the solo singing here last weekend, he was such a sweet guy, uh, that I hadn't given him something. And it wasn't like he needed the sweatshirt necessarily, but it was just like the, the souvenir and kind of memory and spiritually how we kind of poured into each other over a two-day period. And so I go out to my car. I'm like, I, I wonder if I got a sweatshirt in the car. And so I looked through the whole car. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. Why did I clean my car out, you know? And then I suddenly realized I was wearing like this nice um, cardigan, kind of like this cardigan, only is a little different, um, last weekend that I preached in. And I didn't get it for $3 at Kohl's. I got it at the Nordstrom Rack. Now, it was in the clearance section, but that's why I bought it at the end of winter last year. And I've been waiting most of the year to be able to wear that sweatshirt. And I'll be honest, man, I don't always look good on say, but I look good last weekend. I look good. <laughs> and I had that cardigan on, baby. And I realized that the Lord was prompting me to go give him that sweatshirt. Now, let's be honest about the kind of pastor that is at this church. Uh, I was like, no, Lord, I'm not giving that sweatshirt up. You don't understand. Did you see? I look good. I've been waiting six months to wear this. I'm not doing it. You ever do this in your mind? You know God is telling you to do something. You're like, no, I'm not doing it. So then I made a deal with God. You ever make a deal with God? I'm like, okay, okay, God, yeah. You, I, this is just me thinking this and feeling guilty. You always want me to do something. I'm not doing it. If I drive around to the front of the building and I see that kid, if I see Zola, then I'll think about, I'll give him the sweatshirt. Okay, yeah. But if I don't see him, I'm driving off, baby. and wear that all winter. And I get around to the front of the building, and this is how it works, right? I kid you not, there's not a human being in the entire parking lot except for Zola. <laughs> and he's standing right in the middle, and he's walking towards me. And so I didn't think, okay, God, you win. I thought, right? You ever feel like that? Cheerful giver. I'll be, give you a cheerful giver. And I, I pulled into the parking lot and I rolled down the window and I didn't, I tried to get out of it one last time. I said, hey, Zola, I couldn't help but notice that the other two guys got a sweatshirt and you didn't. Would you want something too? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'd love something like as a souvenir. I said, oh, great. Well, I, I could give you this cardigan or... I could get you, give you a free Mercy Road t-shirt. Would you like the t-shirt? Which I don't even let staff people take t-shirts. I don't think I have the authority to give him a t-shirt. But I didn't want to give him the cardigan. And he goes, 
no, I'll take the sweater. <laughs> took that thing off and threw it at the kid, right? Take my sweater. No, I didn't do that, but I, was, I gave it to him. And I was like begrudgingly doing it if in my heart, if I'm honest. And I literally thought about the verse of the cheerful giver. And I tried to get out of it one more time, but then... I gave it to him anyway, and as I was driving off 30 seconds later, this is how it works sometimes. When you know God's prompting you and you actually follow him and you do what he's asking, your faith becomes active, all of a sudden it's like freedom and release that nothing owns you except for God. And I felt so good driving away, knowing that there isn't a material possession that's going to come between me and God. I don't think the kid needed a sweatshirt, to be honest. I, I think it was more just about God trying to grow my faith and remind me what's important in life. You've been there? You see, if your actions demonstrate your faith, then you, you can actually see God begin to use your life. But even more than that, as we talked about last week, you get blessed in that process. You draw closer to him. You know him more. Part of the deal is, like, when you fire it up, if there's gasoline in the tank... You get to the enjoyment of the journey and the adventure of living with God in your life. It's a lot more fun. But, you know, some of us, we reflect on that. We say, well, faith without deeds is dead. My faith is dead. I I must have done something that separated me from God, and I could never have eternal salvation. And we talk about these types of things, but I could never do it. I'm never going to be Billy Graham. I'm never going to be any of these professional Christians. That's not the way God wired me. I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to be who I am. I could never change. Do not diminish the power of what Jesus did on the cross and with the resurrection. That the Holy Spirit that is given to you to live out can overcome anything that you are facing. And some of us feel like, no, I've got too much baggage. I've got these sins that I have committed that we just described. And it's put such a separation from me and God. I could never, I could never have the type of faith that you're describing, right? Some of us, we even think maybe we've renounced God at one point in our life. And maybe you were an atheist or agnostic person at one point, and you're like searching this stuff out, and you're like, but I've done this stuff, and I know there's that one verse about the unforgivable sin. Look, I want to make this really clear. There is only one unforgivable sin in the New Testament, and that is to own a cat. Like, that is the only thing that you could do. If that is you, we know where you're going. I just want to put that out there. Do we, did I offend any cat lovers out there? Okay, I've, I don't feel bad about it, but... I'd, I said, I almost said owning cats, but I realized just one cat will do. If you own one cat, that's all it takes. Uh, Though, the unforgivable sin, that passage, it's talking about that if you renounce God from your life for your entire life, when you get done with your life, God's going to give you what you have desired with your life and eternal separation from him. That is what is, and I believe that's a physical, literal place that the Bible describes with the word hell, Gehenna in the Greek in the New Testament that will be separated from God for eternity. And it uses really harsh things to describe that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and that sort of discussion and language. And so I want to tell you, if you're here and you feel like I've got this baggage and I've got too many mistakes, the, the New Testament is very clear. You haven't done some unforgivable sin that you can't know and encounter God. You can have real faith, true religion. It can be an active. Your faith can become active. You could start the engine, fire it up, ride around, and enjoy the life God intended for you. It may not always be easy, but man, it's fun when you get to actually see Him show up in your life. Do you claim to have faith? Do your actions demonstrate your faith? And then the final thing is this Is your faith truly alive? Alive when people look at you. They see that you have life and they want part of that, man. 
They want to experience that. James 20, or 220 to 26 goes on and says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You remember the story? See that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. His faith actually demonstrated action. And then verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Leave that up there for just a moment. Because it might seem that's contradictory to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that we read last week, that it's by faith you've been saved, not by works that no one can boast. It might also seem like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin are wrong. It's not by faith alone that you've been saved. Um, I, I want to tell you that, first of all, every New Testament scholar I've read that would disagree with that and would secondly say that this is not talking about salvation there when it, it says righteousness. It is a reference to that you have salvation from God, but the only way you see actually him show up, we use a term called sanctification to describe that, where God begins to purify your lives, is when you actually enact that. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 actually talks about that God saves uh, Isaac there because of Abraham's faith, because of his faith, not just because of an action. You don't have to earn your salvation, but if you know God, it pours out of you naturally. If you turn the ignition, there's gasoline in the tank, it starts up. And if you're here and you're saying, but I've got too much baggage, I don't know my past and my history, I'll never be able to be healed in this area. Think of Rahab in verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In this case, even Rahab is a prostitute, and she will be somebody whose faith will actually lead to action in her life that will change the course of history for humankind. It's not just James that writes this kind of stuff, that your faith must be enacted. Uh, Paul writes in Titus 1.16 that they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. I would say this is throughout the Bible, including throughout the New Testament. And so the big question is, is your faith dead or alive? Do you have an active living faith, or are you allowing things in your past to dictate who you are? I just want to close with this, guys. I'm going to be really blunt and honest with you. When we started the church uh, six years ago, we, we started with a bunch of people who weren't even necessarily Christians, or it was kind of their first experience of church. And the brokenness and the baggage that came in, we saw people begin to be healed, freed from the things of their past, become the people they were created to be, become leaders in the church. We have people who once weren't Christian that are now leaders of teams. God didn't just work 2,000 years ago, he still works today. That when you actually encounter God, your faith becomes active. You turn the ignition switch off, baby, and you take off, and people notice a difference in the change. They say something's different about you. The old is gone. The new has come. That's not just for something 2,000 years ago. That's for today. And we set out that we weren't going to be the typical consumerist church. And look, there's lots of great churches around here. I'm not saying anything negative about another church locally. But I want to say this. In American church culture, especially in suburban America, the last thing we need is more apathetic Christians who desire to attend a service, hear someone speak to them, go home, read the manual, and do nothing about it. 
never see a change, never talk to their neighbor, be so busy with their kids' sports programs and all the other stuff in their life. I realized, I was talking to my wife this week, I've had some neighbors that we've gotten to know and reach out to us, and, and I realized I'm so busy running a staff and a church and managing these different things, I haven't had time to love my neighbor well. What about you? When we know Jesus, the primary thing is to do what he's calling us to. We reorient our whole calendar around that. Our time, talents, and treasures aren't ours anymore. They're his. God, use me. How could you see this happen? We don't want to lead a church that is a dead church, and I don't believe we're there, and we will never be there as long as I'm here because I don't ever want to see that, guys. We don't want to be the type of consumerist church that we see so often today. I want to tell you, uh, there are going to be no pumpkin spice lattes out in the cafe anytime soon. Sorry about you. In fact, uh, do you realize, get this, we started this church for a year and a half. We offered no coffee. The church doubled in size. We saw new Christians come to faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we can't offer that, but I want to lead a church and be a part of a church community that says I would sacrifice anything for the kingdom of God. I'll give you a really simple thing that can demonstrate this. Right now, our church has been growing, and we don't even realize it. We found out in September we had 1,500 more people in the month of September this year than we did just the previous year. That's good. About two-thirds to three-fourths of them currently attend on Sunday morning. A real simple thing. I know it's not a big sacrifice. You can sleep in on Sunday morning, come to Saturday nights. We have had weeks where attendance on Saturday nights is really high. We've had weeks recently where it's not even half full. And we're packing out our Sunday mornings. We need more of you to move to Saturday nights. It's a reflection of, am I just here to consume or I'm here to actually live on mission for Jesus? That's a simple one. A bigger one is some of you, God has been calling you to do something like the story I described with your time, talents, and treasures. Maybe even start a new ministry. Maybe to address an addictive issue. Maybe to address a sin issue. Maybe to take a next action in your faith or in your life. Maybe to start an outpost. I want to talk to the 20-somethings, man. We need a lot of you guys to step up and start some outposts for us because we have so many there here in this church that aren't connected to outposts. If that excites you, man, write it on a connect card. We want to see it happen. We must be a church not of consumers, but of action. Otherwise, we lead a dead faith and a dead church. And that's what happens to so many churches in our culture today. Because all we can think about is what's going to be my experience when I get there, and is it going to make me happy enough that I can stick around there? Because if I don't, I'll find another church that meets my needs. And when that happens, guys, I'm not trying to say anything negative about anybody at all. Do you realize when we started the church, if somebody came with that kind of attitude, we literally would chase them away. I would tell them about some other churches that they could go attend because the culture of our church can never be one where the commitment of Christ is not the primary thing or we'll miss out on the experience and the joy of serving God together and we'll bicker with each other about all these little things. I believe this passion is so important to us as individuals, to us as a church. And as a closeout, I just want to say this, okay? I was thinking about this this week and I was thinking about growing up as a kid on a bike like this. And I remember a lot of times I would uh, be scared to ride it because when I was uh, about 12 years old, I wrecked one of these and I knocked myself out on my grandpa's farm. And I'd be so scared I'd, I'd have it happen again. And maybe you've tried to live by faith and enact it before and actually live it out that, to have action occurring in your faith and it didn't work out the way you wanted and it failed and it hurt and you don't want to go back there. 
and you've tried to overcome some of the issues in your life before and it hasn't worked out the way that you wanted and you think that's just who you are, it's the way you are, you're always going to be that way. I want to tell you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ tells you that's not true. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, that there is gas in the engine and you can actually see change occur and you can find healing. You don't have to live in the baggage of your past and the experiences that you occurred. But some of us, we need to wake up. We need to literally stand up and get of our seats and start saying, God, use me. Send me. I want to go. I'll go to Mexico and serve you in a mission trip. I'll go around the world. You want me to go? I'll go. I want to be a missionary in another country. I'll go. You want me to go to local community, start an outpost and love my neighbor? I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'm there. That's the type of Christianity that for over 2,000 years has literally changed the world. That's the reason 2 billion people will sit in chairs this weekend around the world, but not 2 billion people are living like the people that led them to that. That's our desire as a church. But for too many of us in our culture, we sit on it and we talk, man, this thing would be really fun to ride. Wouldn't it be really fun to ride? It'd be so cool. I could, I could picture myself riding it. One day, I'm going to ride it. I'm going to do something with my faith and I'm going to go do it. I can I can picture it. Hey, guys, let's have a meeting and we could sit around and talk about what it would be like to ride the motorcycle. And I know we'll get the manual. We'll study the manual really closely so that we know how to operate the motorcycle when we ride the motorcycle. Then we will pray about the motorcycle and how we could ride the motorcycle if we ever actually started the motorcycle and we rode it. Or you can just fire the thing up and do something and go act it out. Do what it says. Live it out and stop making excuses and blaming things that have been done to you or things that you did to yourself. That's what I want. I want to stop making excuses. Who wants to see me actually fire this thing up? I don't, we will see if it runs. We will see if it runs. But some of you today, you need to literally stand up. You need to get up and say, I do know Jesus Christ. I have surrendered my life to him. I am going to allow faith in him to be enacted out in my life, baby. We're going to fire it up. And then you're going to get up. Oh, and we're going to fly off the stage. You're going to begin to enact your faith. You're not going to care who knows it. You're going to live it out. You're going to keep doing it out the doors, baby. It's going to be a fun time.